such a different way and being willing to do it. And uh, I hope that you had a good week. As I said, I had an amazing week. And, um, and I'm just thankful. I'm thankful for the power of the Word of God. I'm thankful for the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the encouragement of other preachers. And not what you might think. And no one really is, in, I guess in some way they are, but no one is really encouraged by being around somebody else that's going through the same misery. No one's really encouraged by that. Um, you may not feel alone by being with somebody else who's going through the same misery, but you're encouraged when somebody that you know, somebody that you love, reminds you, of who God is and encourages you through prayer. Uh, the different texts that I've got just in the last 24 hours from people that I haven't spoken to in a really long time. Carlos Navarrete was one of them that texted me last night and uh, said, I just want you to know I prayed for you and I love you and I uh, hope God uses you today. Different people saying things like that. It's, it's amazing, um, especially when you haven't seen them in a really long time. <clears throat> and you kind of, some of them you wonder, <clears throat> You know, I wonder what they're up to, <clears throat> or I wonder if they're still being faithful, if they're still preaching. Um, you know, you kind of, to be honest, as a pastor, you kind of wonder, is anybody leading anybody to Christ? Is, 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 it, is it dried up everywhere? Are people just walking away? Is, is this the time of the great, you know, turning away or whatever? The devil plays all kinds of tricks on your mind when you're the preacher. And um, being around other Christians who are seeing people saved and listening to stories. That's the amazing thing is just listening to stories of the work of God is I think the most encouraging aside from the actual preaching of the word of God. It's just hearing testimonies of God's working in life. And uh, in, in light of that, uh, I believe the Lord gave me this message and I'm so thankful for it. Just got a text from Pastor Chapel, and, and that means a lot to me because that's my pastor. I mean, here I am minutes from starting a message and I get a text from my pastor says, hey, pray for you, love you, preach the word, you know, things like that. So uh, we'll see what the Lord does. Psalm 11, if you have your Bibles, and if you would please stand together for the reading of the Lord's word, I'd appreciate that. I know that he would as well. As well. Psalm 11, if you have the outline, uh, if you need an outline, raise your hand. Did anybody not get an outline? Okay, I think everybody's got one. And um, the, the title of the message is to be continued, to be continued. Psalm 11, <clears throat> in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string. They may privily shoot at the upright in heart. And here's the verse that the Lord put on my heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. I want you to go back and look with me again at verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall or what can the righteous do? Heavenly Father, I 
come before you again this morning, and I ask that you please use me. I, I do again, Lord, I've, I've just all week long been so grateful for the way that you spoke, the way that you moved. Uh, Lord, you're ever-present in our need. Even when we don't see you and recognize you or even see that you are working, you are still working. And, and we believe that. And Lord, I pray that today you would work. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have liberty today and that as we, your people, open your word, that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray that you'd open our hearts. I pray that we would open our hearts. In fact, Lord, may we not be the Laodicean church where you are on the outside knocking, trying to get in. But Lord, I pray that every man and woman, boy or girl here today, here today would open up the doors of our hearts, that you would come in and sup with us and we with you. Lord, that we would leave here challenged, that we would leave here full. Lord, as we take the bread of life, and Lord, I pray that you'd be glorified and yield myself to you as your servant and your mouthpiece. I ask that you'd please help me to be emptied and just get out of your way, that you would please fill me with your spirit and use me for your glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I grew up in the days when television was only as good as your aerial antenna and as as good as the power of the sending station. How many know what I mean by aerial antenna? Do you remember that? Um, and, and how many had an aerial antenna that either dad or you had to adjust at some point, right? You had to get up there and do something. Um, there were only 13 channels back in those days. And the only way you could know what was on TV on a given day uh, was one of two ways. Either you simply turned on the television and went through all 13 channels, or um, they came out with this thing called the TV Guide. Anybody ever remember those? You go through the grocery store, and it was always right there just before you went out. It was the last thing that mom always put um, on the top of the grocery cart. Some of you are like, what's a TV Guide? I just press Guide on my remote control, and it comes up, right? Well, they used to have paper in books, children, and they used to have books that open, and you actually had to learn to read. And uh, no, um, and so you'd find out the programming for that week. In fact, I, I was astonished when I found out at the very beginning that it actually had the sports events listed, and you knew what day. Okay, here's what day that game's going to be on, or, or whatever. And and that was the way we did it. Sometimes you'd be watching a movie or whatever and enjoying it, and it would come to the point. Uh, where it would have these words, and this was like, this was like, you know, the nightmare for me because I was always trying to find ways to stay up later. And if I was watching the family movie with mom or dad in the den, and these words came up, I knew it meant it's time to go to bed. The three words that I never enjoyed seeing when you were right in the middle of something was to be continued. Now, some of us know these because when they used to make full-length movies, they were so long that they would put in an intermission. Such classics like uh, The Ten Commandments was a three-and-a-half-hour saga, and uh, the largest extra crowd that was ever hired by Hollywood to make this movie. And in the middle of it, uh, uh, no, no doubt, on ABC Sunday Night Movies, we would come home after church, and we would just sit down there, and from 8 to like 10 o'clock, and then at 10 o'clock, it was to be continued. And I was like... We have to finish a Sunday night movie on Monday night. That doesn't even go, right? Uh, or if you're interested in such classics like Chitty, Chitty, Bang, Bang. Um, it's kind of a practical joke. In my, fam my family hates Chitty, Chitty, Bang, Bang, except for me and Brayden. And he's only going to like it for about another year and a half, so i got to watch it while I can. Um, but 
uh, that, that was just what, you know what I'm talking about. They're out there on the beach. They, they get ready to have that, that, they go over the edge of the cliff and, ah, and then it goes intermission. And you're like, what is going on to be continued? Um, now, now all of that's funny, but it's, it's, I'm going someplace. I promise some things are meant to be continued. It's, it's written that way. It's designed to be continued. They must be continued in order to bring the watcher, the audience, or the, the narrative to its right conclusion. Because left the way that it is, there is no conclusion. Left of the intermission, there's no resolve. The guy, the good guy doesn't get the beautiful girl, and the bad guy doesn't get justice, and, and there's just a lot of incomplete things, right? But, but, but some things are meant to be continued. Now, the psalmist here in Psalm 11 um, begins our text in faith. The Bible says in verse 1, In the Lord put I my trust. And, and, and the ridiculous or the uh, rhetorical question is asked, How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to, your mount- to the mountains? I mean, if I'm putting my trust in the Lord, why am I going to be fearful and run away? You follow me? And, and, and so the psalmist writes of faith and trust. Then he describes the immediate calamities and impending questions or threats. And he asks the question. So in verses, uh, in verse two, he says, look, if I'm like a bird that flies to the mountain, then people are going to try to shoot at me. They're going to lay the snare. I, I'm going to be living in fear and I'm inevitably going to get caught. All right. So then he asks the question in verse three, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation of what I know to be true, of what I know to be right, if what I know to be just is destroyed, what hope is there? I mean, I, I trust the Lord. In him I'm putting my trust. But if I do what you're telling me to do, and I question and I flee to the mountain like a bird that has no hope, and all this comes out and they're going to they're gonna take hold of me, they're going to snare me, they're going to shoot me, their arrows are going to hit me, what am I left to do? What can the righteous do? And then he brings you to the right conclusion. Look at verse 7. For the righteous Lord, by the way, he is a righteous Lord. Did you know that God doesn't do anything wrong? He never has. He never will do anything wrong. The righteous Lord, the Bible says, loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. What does God hate in this passage? He hates the wicked. He hates those that would ensnare. He hates those that entrap. He hates those that are hunting the righteous. But he loves the righteous. And God says he beholds them both. Is that not what the passage says? So, in other words, if all we know and love are destroyed, if those things which we perceived as impenetrable, immovable, and indestructible are destroyed, what are the righteous supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to be continuing to do whatever they did before all that came. Does that make sense? They're supposed to do what they did before it was all destroyed. As we meet this morning, there's a cancel culture movement in our country whose main goal is to remove any permanent reference to God, Christianity, morality, absolute truth, and any business or any people that associate with those truths. 
Our country is being divided by a media that has found a purpose and an opportunity to destroy everything that means something to God. The nuclear family is under attack. God-given biology is under siege. Marriage and family, the church is being told in the middle of all this to sit over in a corner and be quiet. And the only people who are allowed to stand up and speak out with no restrictions are protesters, but only if they meet the right criteria. So if you're woke, then you're allowed to speak and you're allowed to carry on business as usual. If you are against that agenda, then you, your family, your business and your way of life, as you know it, are in jeopardy. The foundations are being destroyed. Right before us, we're watching what we thought was impenetrable, what we thought was immovable, what we thought was indestructible, go by the wayside. And even if it does in our lifetime, what are we supposed to do? The foundation of our country, the foundation of our families, the foundations of our cities and states are being destroyed. The California governor never stops exercising autocratic control and our federal government never stops contradicting itself. While mandating testing and vaccines for citizens, aliens from around the globe are not required either and are granted free passage. However, off the coast of this state, ships carrying items that we as a country need are not allowed passage into our harbors and nobody knows why. Meanwhile, the cost of living is going up and no one is safe. The craziest part of all of this is that our country is being groomed for socialism. Our constitution is almost within reach of being completely disregarded as a relevant, legally binding document protecting our sovereignty as a nation, as well as the sanctity and safety of its citizens. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The question before us is just that. If all what we know is is destroyed, what are Christians supposed to do? Well, what Christians have always done. What we've always done in Jerusalem, in Lystra, in Thessalonica, in Crete, in Rome, in France, in Germany, in Holland, in England, in China, in Korea... In Iran, in Vietnam, in Laos, in Nigeria, in Sudan, in Cameroon, and Ethiopia, and in India, and in Syria. Name a country in the world and whatever the government, whatever the government, whatever the policy concerning the spread of the gospel and meetings of the followers of Jesus Christ, and there will be what has always been Christians singing praises to God. And giving offerings and telling others about Jesus Christ with no regard to the political agenda and no consideration as to what might happen to them. They love their God and they love their families by night and they work in the cities and the communities by day waiting to tell someone else about the freedom that they have not in a party but in Jesus Christ the Lord. It doesn't matter the dispensation. It doesn't matter the political climate. It doesn't matter whether they're imprisoned or whether they're imprisoned in their own house. They don't stop what they've always done. They continue. Why? Because some things are meant to be continued. The life of a Christian who was following the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the snare, regardless of what people are saying, is meant to be continued. Can I get an amen? 
By the way, people in every country, no matter the persecution, not only are continuing, but they will continue until Jesus comes. Now, I hope and pray that's true of America. I hope and pray that's true. So what if our foundations are really destroyed? What if in your and my lifetime, and I never thought I'd say this. I said to Jim last night, you know, 50 years ago, if you said to somebody 50 years ago what would happen in 2021, all that's happening today, they would look at you and say, no way. There's no way that would happen at the border. There's no way that would be said on television. There's no way our president would do that. There's no way the governor would do that. There's no way people would think that it's okay to this. There's, no, there's just no way. That's only 70 years ago, Bob. 70 years ago. They wouldn't even entertain what's going on as possible. They would. You might as well be saying, we're going to be flying in cars. We're, we're, yeah, that's more believable. We're all going to have cars that fly then, then we're, then, it, you know, it used to be I'd rather be dead than red. And now socialism is on the agenda. And it's on the march. And by the way, it's progressing. Every single day. Doesn't that sound encouraging? Say, man, I didn't come to church to get Fox News all or CNN all over again. I, you know, I'd really kind of be lifted up. Well, I'm here to encourage you in spite of it. And I'm going to encourage you by reminding us all that no matter what happens on the next press conference, no matter what the next news item is, no matter what what calamity may fall. I mean, uh, look, right now we're like, what else could happen? Don't say that out loud. Right? Don't don't even utter those words. But but the fact of the matter is, if verse one is true, then verse seven is absolutely true. And and verse three takes care of itself. Why? Because God sees it all. And I'm getting ahead of myself. Take your outline. What, what, if the foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, here's what the righteous can do. And here's what the righteous should do. We should, first of all, continue to believe. It says, in the Lord. Not if. In the Lord put I my trust. At the end of it. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. Wait a minute. I thought it talked about calamity and fear and all that could possibly happen. He did. But he's saying, listen to me. No matter what happens, God is still on the throne. And God sees what's going on in my life. And God sees what's happening in their life. And we need to be okay with it all. In the Lord put I my trust. We need to continue to believe. Believe what? That God's on his throne. That God will not be moved, by the way, off of his throne. If Hitler and Stalin and World War II did not move God off of his throne. And the Holocaust did not move God off of his throne. And the election of Bill Clinton and George Bush and anybody. If none of that moved God off his throne, nothing can. If Adam's sin didn't move God off his throne... And, and, and all of the sin that came up to Genesis chapter 6 did not move God. God cannot be moved. So what are we supposed to do when everything else that is immovable goes away? When everything else seems to shatter, trust in the God that cannot be moved. The Bible says, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. And so many Christians are afraid of what man must do to us. 
or what we must do to please man. Let me tell you something. What you need to do is worry about pleasing God and God will take care of man. When a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies shall lie down with him. The fact of the matter is, we've got to continue to believe. Is everybody awake here this morning? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? God is immovable. He is indestructible. That is the anchor and the bishop of our souls. That's where we've got a more this morning. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we need to do what we should have always been doing. We need to continue to believe. Believe that he has the knowledge of all things. You don't have to call God tomorrow morning in your devotions to say, Hey God, did you see that news line item? Did you see what happened? I can't, but do you, do you want to tell me what's going on? God's like, no, I don't want to. I don't have to. I'm God. I see it all. I may not like it, but I know it's all, go, it's all going on and it's going on for the glory of me. Whether I like it or not. The fact remains that this verse teaches us that God is in control of all these things, which means I can trust him. Why? Since you brought it up, verse 7, for the Lord, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. That's a characteristic of God. He cannot do wrong. He cannot do wrong. What he allows, he still works all things together for good. Only a righteous God could do that. The Bible says in Psalm 103, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom, listen, ruleth over all. Psalm 33, 13, the Lord looketh from heaven and beholdeth all the sons of men. Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. We know what the Bible says about believing this kind of God, that without faith, it's impossible to please, uh, to please, for, uh, to please him. For he that cometh to God, listen, must believe. Must believe that he is. What? All things that he is. All things that he says he is. And that you are in his hand. And that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The fact remains, this is my response to the person of God in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. How many have ever been in unfavorable circumstances? How many are still in unfavorable circumstances? Well, let me ask you a question. If God knows your unfavorable circumstance, is his grace not sufficient? Is his character not good enough? Are you trying to find chinks in the armor of God? Or would you rather just have a childlike faith and say, God, I don't know what's going on. But I can rest assured that you do. And I trust you. I'm okay with that. I think you have a quote in your notes, circumstances are not allowed into your life in order to change what you believe about God, but to enhance what you believe about him. That's why they're allowed. It's not so that you can doubt him. It's so that what you know to be true about him, knowing that he is not changeable. I am God. I change not. Therefore, are you not consumed, you sons of Jacob? Because he's unchangeable, then it's not about what you believe that he can't do, it's about believing what he can do in the midst of it. What shall the righteous do? What can the righteous do? Well, we can continue to believe. Secondly, we continue to behave. We can continue to behave. Every situation has an audience. You get it? 
Every situation, every circumstance that you live through has an audience. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter whether you live in a neighborhood where kids are or not. Every one of your circumstances has an audience. And all that happens in the world, in this world, that brings darkness is testing the light inside of every believer. As our heart and mind is stayed upon an immovable and unchanging God, then listen, our lifestyle, our conversation, our behavior will reflect what we believe. So there's a reason that the Psalms are written the way that they are. By faith, I stand. Here's what I don't like. I aired my complaint to God. Here's what's going on. Here's the snares and the arrows. Here's what I don't like. And here's what everybody else is getting away with. But I understand that God's in control. So I'm still going to do right. As Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right, do right. And if the stars fall, do right anyway. Why? Because verse 7, the Bible says, the, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. What's he trying to get out of you when circumstances are unfavorable? Righteousness. Those are right things done the right way, the right time for the right person, for the right one. Righteousness. That's what he loves. So what we believe affects how we behave. What we believe when circumstances go awry about God affects how we behave. Now, the hard part about that statement is we normally are only completely assured and are really confident when we absolutely know the outcome. Normally. Your kid watches a movie that you've seen a thousand times and he's all gripped up and you go, oh, don't worry about it. He wins. Oh, he doesn't die. The dog lives. You know, it, it, he, he's going to get the job. They're going to get back together. Like every Hallmark movie, they always get back together. They always say, you know, oh, but all this stuff is suspense. No, it's not. They're all written the same way. So I'm going to, yeah, we watch them anyway. Oh, I wonder if he's going to say yes. And I wonder if he's going to do right. You know what I mean? The only way we're really confident is when we know absolutely. Did you know what? Nobody in here knows anything absolutely about tomorrow, but God does. So what I believe about that kind of God affects me when I don't know everything. I'm okay him knowing what he knows. Why? Because he's God and I'm not. That's the essence of your faith. Listen to me. God says, believe me. Take my promises to the bank. Cash them every day if you like. Pray them back to me. I want to fulfill my word. Why? Because I'm obligating myself to it. I just want you to trust me. That's what I want. I love righteousness and I am righteous. Now, what I believe then affects how I behave. How should a Christian behave? Letter A, like the children of God. You're not a child of this world. You're not a child of the devil. So stop acting like it. Why are we acting like we're not children of the most high God? The Bible says in Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. 
in uh, Romans 8, 16, the spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I've given you a whole lot of verses in these points so that you can take them, so that you can read them, so that you can be reminded my God is on his throne and I'm his child. and I'm going to behave like his child. And a child normally trusts his daddy. Normally. I would say it this way. God's never given me a reason not to trust him. He's given me every reason to trust him. We're supposed to act. We're supposed to behave like the children of God. Let her be. We're supposed to act like the servants of the Lord. All of those verses. Look up. I'm going to give you a couple of just verbally. Romans 6, 22. But now being made free from sin and becoming servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and at the end everlasting life. Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but doing the will, uh, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's what servants do. Servants obey their masters. That's what they do. And they don't do it begrudgingly. They do it because it's from the heart. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to behave like children of God. We're supposed to behave like servants. Like, Lord, we're your bond servant. Oh, I don't know. Let's just pick somebody. How about Mary? The handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me as thou said. You do to me. God, I don't understand. In fact, this is pretty crazy to think that I'm going to have a baby and I'm not, uh, I'm still a virgin. But if that's what you say, then be it unto me. You, you've got me. I'm your bond slave. That's what Jude said. That's what Titus said. That's what James said. That's what Paul said. The servant of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. How are we supposed to behave when the foundations are destroyed? Let us see. Like friends of Jesus. Friends of the Savior. Jesus said in John 15, 14, Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. You see, it's okay. I believe I'm going to behave like a Christian. Well, let's define that by the Bible. Let's look in the scripture and say, okay, what does that look like? Well, it looks like a child of God. That, that, by the way, that intimates a relationship. Do you have a personal relationship with God? You cannot have it through religion. You can only, I said, you cannot have it through religion. Somebody say amen. You can only have it through a relationship and that is through Jesus Christ, the righteous. I cannot go to heaven without going through Jesus. I don't care what your former religion said. I care what God said in his word. And Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by the Baptist church. That's not what it says. And it doesn't say the Methodist church. It doesn't say the Catholic church, the Mormon church, the J-dubs. None of it. It says, but by me. I read it this morning. He said, depart unto me for I never knew you. That's a relationship. Do you have one? Because if you have a relationship with God, the only relationship you can have is that of a child. Because you're born into his family. And then the Bible says, listen, you're my servants, but not just my servants. You're my friends. Good night. He's just, it speaks of relationship. It speaks of love. It speaks of him doing right and us doing right because we love him. Letter D, we're supposed to behave like disciples of Christ. I'm not going to go into all those verses. I don't have time. Letter E. We're supposed to be, by 2 Corinthians 5.20, ambassadors for Christ. So what's my point? My point is, even if the foundations are destroyed, my job, your job, the church's job, is to act and behave like we are. Why? Because we represent the one that saved us. We represent the one that sent us. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, 
even so, say it with me, send I you. That's our job. Our lifestyle, our behavior, the way we live, the way we move, the way we have our being in this fallen world tell a story. They tell a story of a relationship, of devotion, of commitment, of fidelity, and of loyalty to the Savior. God said in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Ye? Oh, so wait a minute, I thought that was Acts 1. Well, in Acts 43, it preempted it all. In the gospel according to Isaiah, Isaiah said that God said to Israel, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Listen, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know, that ye may know, and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. What's God reiterating? The fact that I've chosen you, that we have a relationship, that you're my servant, but that you represent me. In a world full of darkness? Yep. When things are getting worse? Yep. When it's getting darker? Yep. When the future is more bleak than ever? Yep. Are you going to run to the mountain? If you do, and, and all that comes with fear and the possibility of calamity and being shot and being snared, is, is that the answer? No, it's not the answer. The answer is it should be continued. What? Everything that was happening before it all happened. There's a quote in your notes, the Savior is supposed to change the way I live life, not my circumstances. God's not our, God's not our concierge. He's not, he's not our Uber Eats driver. God, I'm hungry. Can you just send over? That, that's not, that's not his role. If what we believe about God, the God of heaven and earth deteriorates with the moral foundations of our society, let me say that again. If what we believe about the God of heaven and earth deteriorates with the moral foundations of our society, then we have nothing to offer those who are living in the blind condemnation of unbelief. There's nothing left. What do I believe about God? Well, what I believe, if the Bible is true, and I personally believe that it is, if, if I believe what the Bible says about God, and by the way, if you don't know a lot about God's character and heart, you probably should read his word because he's opened it up. He's not trying to hide anything from me. He's not trying to get you to guess in this life. He is most certainly not trying to play tricks on you. He's trying to get our behavior the way it's supposed to have always been. And if he has, has to use a calamity, then he will. And he has. And he still is. What should we do? What can we do? Well, we can continue to believe. They can't take that away. We continue to behave. Well, what if they beat us? So does that change how I'm supposed to act as a child of God? Jesus said in Matthew 7, look, love your enemies. Pray for them that spitefully use you and persecute you. If they grab a hold of you and they compel you to do something, say, okay, 
Instead of going with them a mile, go with them twain. You see the idea? In fact, it says in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, Jesus Christ. It says, resist not the evil. Isn't that amazing? You know what some of us have been doing since the last election? Yeah. And we're miserable for it. Do you know why? Because as children of God, we're going against his word. We're consumed with resisting instead of living righteously. Does everybody get that? Is is it as plain to you as it is to me? I mean, it it doesn't get any clear. Well, the Bible's kind of cloudy. Not on that subject. Resist not the evil. Mm, Let's do it a different way. Don't give back evil for evil. But rather, evil with good. Right? We're supposed to continue to believe so we can continue to behave. Thirdly, the Lord put this on my heart. It didn't fit at first. I thought about taking it out, but he wants me to say it because Jeremiah said it. We need to continue to blush. Doesn't that sound odd? We need to continue to blush. Well, it's weird, but that's a Bible word. The Bible says Jeremiah 6 and verse 15, as Jeremiah looks at the landscape of his country and he sees the judgment of God and it breaks his heart. He says these words, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? The next word says it all, nay. They were not at all ashamed. It doesn't say they were little. It says not at all ashamed. Neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that when Israel was sinning against God and knowingly, it didn't bother them anymore. It it, it didn't bother them that we're living in sin. Sin was no longer deceitful. Sin was no longer destructive. Everybody, everybody listen here today. It, it, they didn't blush. It didn't embarrass them that they were living a backslidden life. It didn't embarrass them. It didn't bother them. They were going to go to the temple anyway. Here's my sacrifice. I'm going to lay the hand on. Well, now, now they're going away in captivity and they're still not blushing. Now their foundations are being destroyed and sin is just what we did. In fact, it got so bad, they're going to take Jeremiah, throw him into a well. Some of them are going to call for his life just because he's willing to call a spade a spade. And yet the Bible says, neither could they blush. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. When God's people get so comfortable and accustomed to sin around them, it causes them to become comfortable with the sin within them. Can I say an embarrassing statement tonight? I think we've, some of us have gotten a little too comfortable with sin in our life. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching for him. I'm preaching to all of us. What is it? It doesn't matter what it is. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine are. We get a little too comfortable in our sin. Sin no longer embarrasses some people. It emboldens them. Sin no longer is seen as destructive because in many ways it's just so delightful. Sin is no longer separating. 
It's liberating. Why did Paul have to say, only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh? Because of what we've been talking about on Wednesday night Bible study about lasciviousness. Well, this is just what I do. And, you know, I'm saved and God understands that. You see, this is my life. And I can live it as I please. This is a statement from someone who isn't ashamed of their sin. And, and, and the culture that we live in has emboldened some Christians to say, well, who are you to judge me? I'm no one. I'm a sinner who's been saved by grace. And the law is our teacher that brings us to Christ. What's the law tell us? That all have sinned? That we've all become guilty before God? And the wages of that sin is death? It's time that we blush again. Cassie and, and Evelyn Lehman been on this earth a little longer than some of us. Not very much longer, but a little longer. Yes, amen. They've seen a lot in this country. A lot of good. And the last few decades, a whole lot of bad. And in their day, sin was sin. And it was recognized and it was embarrassing. And you dealt with it. You didn't cover it up. You didn't try to justify it. You just dealt with it. Okay. All right, this is what happened in the church. Let's deal with it. Paul said, look, you guys have sexual sin in your church and you're not dealing with it. You should be ashamed of yourself. What's that mean? They were not at all ashamed. Neither did they blush. And it was theirs. Now, look, the fact remains that judgment must begin at the house of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, having therefore these promises, the promises of eternal life, the promises of salvation, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Maybe we don't blush anymore because God has changed from the God that we used to believe in. Now all of a sudden, he's only long-suffering, and he's only loving, and he's only kind. Somewhere in the psychology of our warped and, and hard minds and hearts, we have completely taken out the character of God that says he is holy, and that he is just, and that he does recompense sin. We don't blush anymore, because we call it shortcomings or misgivings instead of what the Bible calls it. Sin is damaging to grace that is so needed for others that must be saved. Therefore, as Christians, we've got to strive to be embarrassed and ashamed of our sin enough to get rid of it. That's why he's saying, look, you're not blushing. If you blush, if you're ashamed, you don't, if you, your dad or mom ever say, my mom used to say this, Kyle Preston, that's how you know I was in trouble. <laughs> Kyle Preston, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know better than to do that. You shouldn't do that. My dad would say, look, you go somewhere, you better act like a Haynes or change your last name. And I didn't dare do anything that was going to embarrass the family name. 
Is that the way we think when we leave the house? When we go to work? Or to put it back in this context, when everything falls apart, shouldn't we be to the point of, you know, Lord, I'm trusting you, but in the middle of all this, I'm seeing some sin. And it's embarrassing, not because people know it, but because you know it. God, you see my sin. For I acknowledge my sin, my transgression is ever before me. Psalm 51 verse 4. Beloved, now we are the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be white like him. Listen, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. See, sin church is destructive to us as a whole. Sin is destructive to the church. And that is why the church, listen, is responsible for sin. The church is responsible for sin, for judgment must begin in the house of God. Why? Because evildoers, listen, and sinners shall wax worse and worse. And if the church is following that lead, then they're both going to fall in the ditch. If the church takes on the persona of the world and the culture and the social uh, climate of the lost, then we come in here. There's no sin problem. The individual person in the church has to be able to blush over their own sin. Why? Because it affects everyone sitting in this room, ladies and gentlemen. All of us. Because we're a body. And there's not one of us that's separated from another by the blood of Christ. So where does that leave us? Pastor, you're just full of good news today. Well, it leaves us with the last one. Remember, what's started by God is meant to be continued. You can write that down. Because God, who hath begun a good work in you, shall perform it until the day of Christ. That's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3. So, let's get our mind right today. Okay, God, I need to press the reset button on my faith. I know you see all this. I have a Bible loaded full of your attributes, of your very heart. God, I know I haven't been believing, and I'm embarrassed at that. I'm embarrassed that I don't trust you like I should. And I'm embarrassed because what I believed is not how I believe. And the way I used to behave under that formal belief is not how I'm behaving now. God, help me. Have mercy on me. We've got to continue in these things. Why? Because there's a battle. We've got to continue to battle. Oh, yes. The first person I have to fight every day is myself. And, and, and as he throws things at me, I've got to fight Satan. And I've got to fight the world. But that's not the battle. The battle is for souls. We think that Christianity and everything in the Bible is just so that I can be happy, so that I can have things, so that things work out. That's not the point. God didn't save me for things to work out. God saved me so that others could work up, so that people could be saved. He sent me not only as a servant, but as a soldier. And that battle is for souls. The battle against the wiles of Satan is ultimately a battle for souls. Let's be honest. We can win uh, the fight, we can't win the fight if we're not in the battle to begin with. 
Some of us are not fighting against the wiles of Satan because we're not fighting for the souls of people. What is the point of Satan getting Eve off track? What's the point of Satan trying to stop Joseph and Mary? What's the point of Satan trying to stop Jesus so that you and I go straight to hell? That's the reality. Eternity is real. Heaven is real. As I'm standing here, it's real. And so is hell. And if Satan is vying for all of them to go in that wide gate that leads to destruction, then my job is to fight for that straight and the narrow way where souls get saved. That's the battle. If you knew the road was out at the bridge, wouldn't you try the best to stop traffic to tell them? When the warning sirens in the Midwest go off, they tell everybody to seek shelter. Storm is on its way. And people run. They get in the shelter and they go, I'm glad I got a shelter. Well, we know what's coming. We're looking around and I'll tell you, we know by God's book how this world ends. We know exactly how it ends. We know what's appointed after death. The judgment of God. And knowing the terror of the Lord, the church is called to persuade men. To seek the shelter of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be in the battle for souls. Two reasons and I'm done. First of all, the battle's worth fighting. Let, let me say this. It's the only battle worth fighting. Because you're not going to take your party to heaven. You're not. This country is not going to heaven. It's not about the land. We seek a city whose builder and maker is God. We see a different country altogether. And if our best is trying to make earth heaven, you're going to live a frustrated life, friend. If what you're trying to do is, is collect and collaborate so you can take it all with you, you're going to be greatly disappointed in heaven. But God says, listen, you know how it all wins. And I'm telling you, as your Savior, as your Abba, I'm telling you, as your Master, I'm telling you, as the Prince of Peace, I'm telling you, as the one and true only God, that it's worth hearing these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Should God approve of me like that, then that's all I need. It's worth fighting for. Your neighbor's soul is worth fighting for. Your child's heart is worth fighting for. Your husband is worth fighting for. Your uncle is worth fighting for. Your friend, your coworker that you don't even like. You know what's going to happen to them if they die without Jesus. And if they die and you knew as the watchman what was coming and you did not warn the wicked of their wickedness, blood twice in the book of ezekiel their blood shall i require at thine hand why do we fight because we're guilted into it no because it's a worthy battle it's worthy because jesus fought by the way he won it he went to the cross and he died so that all you have to do is tell someone about it. That's easier for you to say. No, it's not. It's just as hard for me to say and do. That's why he died. He died and fought it and he won it. So that you could fight and win it every day. By the way, you have no control who gets saved. You don't. 
But you do have control over who gets warned. You do have control of whether you're in the battle or not. And that battle is worth fighting. Secondly, that battle is always rewarded. Always rewarded. 1 Corinthians 9, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it for... They do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, night as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest by any means, listen, when I have preached to others, Christianity, you know, in the old, you can't say it now because it has such a broad meaning, but the old days they would say religion. Religion, the life of Christ, is it's not the, the outward discipline of my body and my mind and my eyes and everything that goes into my life. It's not a practice of discipline for the sake of discipline. Or holiness for the sake of holiness. It's not so we can sit around and compare whose works are better than someone else or, 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 or who looks better or, or who seems to be more. No, no. The outward has nothing to do with it. My body is brought into subjection and I want to live for the glory of God because I got to preach. And I'm not talking about being a pastor. I have a message as an ambassador of the one that sent me and the country that I'm going to, the country that I represent. And all that I do to strive for that is so that I can preach and it means something to God, not to me. Paul's preaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 was not so that people's faith would rest on Paul, but it would rest on the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So when we think of this to be continued, remember that the only foundation that is indestructible is the Word of God. It's not the Constitution of the United States. It's not the Magna Carta. It's not the Supreme Court. It's not the country. Countries have been overthrown for millennia. And if that happens, what can the righteous do? Well, I don't have to like it. I didn't say you had to like it, but I did say you had to live in it. John chapter 17, Jesus prayed to God, and I'll paraphrase, God, I'm not asking you to take him out of the world. In the world, he had just explained it's an awful place. I don't want you to take him out of the world, but I want them to experience the unity and bond that we have with each other so that others can believe. And that's the gospel 101. That's Christianity 101. And what's happened in 18 months is we've forgotten we took that course. Whosoever cometh to me and hearing my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He's like a man that built his house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. Remember the picture you showed me last night of your backyard in Texas? You said it was hewn out of a rock. Watch. And laid the foundation on a rock so that when the wind, uh, when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house, it could not be shaken. Why? Because it was founded on a rock. That's the whole point. The foundation of our faith is immovable when the object is the immovable God. Christian life is designed to be continued throughout any circumstance in every culture and for all time. It may be disrupted from time to time. It may be disrupted from time to time by God's allowance, but it must never be interrupted. Huge difference. Paul said to Timothy, a discouraged preacher in a church that struggled, listen, but continue. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. If the foundations be destroyed, 
and people watch our lives, what will their conclusion be? What we started by faith must be continued in the same fashion. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I submit this time to you now and I ask, Lord, that your work, that your word would do a work, that you would stir, that you would help. Lord, as I look at the landscape of the last several days in my life, I know that without a shadow of a doubt, this is the message that you had prepared for this church at this hour. Hopefully, there are a few people here today that realize the same. Lord, today we recognize that there is no shame in confessing our sin. There's only shame in covering it up. There's no shame in confessing unbelief. There's no shame in confessing pride. There's no shame in confessing our sins. Lord, there's only shame when we cover them. May it not be so today, Lord. May it be today that we would not be looking for who else is doing what. But rather, would today that we would just be looking at ourselves, standing before our Savior, who sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, that we would draw nigh and that we would just have a good talk. God, what you lay on our hearts that ought not be there, I pray would be removed today by the amazing grace and mercy of our God through the blood of Jesus Christ. For the lost soul that's condemned and living in the wrath of God on their life, I pray today would be the day of salvation. There's no recourse for hell outside of Jesus Christ. Today is that day, I pray. Lord, I pray that this altar would just be a place where people would begin to blush again, where we'd begin to believe again, that when we leave here, our behavior would give us the advantage in the battle. And may we respond to your Holy Spirit. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I pray that the word of God has touched you. I pray that it has. If it has, if the Lord spoke to you and it's necessary, if you feel led to, in a moment we're going to stand. I'm going to open this invitation. And I would just like to ask you as your pastor, would you find a place at this old-fashioned altar today? Forget about who's here. Forget about who's not. Forget about anybody else in this auditorium. And would you just come before the Lord, God of heaven, who loves you so much? who can do no wrong. And would you just spend time rehashing or rehearsing these points, the points that God spoke to you about in your heart? And, and, and church, if there's something there, could I just beseech you by the mercies of God that you confess it? That, that we would just say, okay, Lord, this is the reset button I've been waiting for. That this is the time now, Lord. You've given us another opportunity, another chance. The circumstances that we're living in right now in this country and the state are not going away anytime soon. Therefore, what, what can we do? We can do what we've always been supposed to be doing. And we can start doing it again.
Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, I pray now this invitation would be to your glory, to your honor, that hearts would be open, that we would be tender. God, that our, Lord, that our faces would be wet because we have left our first love, because we have walked away, because we have ceased to battle, because we've ceased to believe, because we've ceased to behave. Please, please do a great work in our midst. Manifest yourself in your glory and your spirit. May it fall fresh on us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The invitation is open. The song Jenna is playing is, It is well with my soul. Is it? If it's not, if it's not, perhaps you need to find a place down here at this altar. Maybe you need to pray with somebody and say, Pastor, I, I want to do things right. I, if God loves righteousness, then I want to make things right. Would you come this morning and pray? Would you just seek the face of God? 